This season of What She Did Next is brought to you by Women's Agenda, a daily news publication for women. I think there's quite a movement at the moment where it's used to be like endless growth. And I think my first business, it was all about endless growth, endless growth. And it was too much. You know, there's sort of a, a thrive and survive figure. And I'm like, that's all I actually need. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Hitting the road to travel around Australia sounds pretty idyllic, but when you're also running a business, how do you make that work? My guest today is Victoria McGrain, and she's the artist and textile designer behind the scenic route, whose distinctive illustrations, inspired by Australian nature, have earned her collaborations with major brands and retailers. She's also among a growing number of Australians who've traded in the daily grind in search of a different way of life and a greater sense of freedom. After selling their house, Victoria and her partner Darren got rid of nearly all their possessions to move into a solar-powered motorhome with their dog Gypsy. Among their motivations for wanting such a huge lifestyle change was their love of travel but also their environmental concerns. Victoria now spends her days with her sketchbook under her arm and her camera at the ready, taking inspiration from the plants, animals, colours and landscapes around her. It's a far cry from her former life as a fashion designer in the big cities of Sydney and London, and with more space and freedom to be creative, her business is thriving. I spoke to Victoria about life and work on the road, what prompted her move away from the bright lights of the fashion industry and her collaborations with conservation groups such as Rainforest Rescue. You may be able to hear the sounds of birds in the background as she was parked up next to a river on the New South Wales north coast. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Victoria McGrain. So Victoria, I'm very keen to talk about your business and your life on the road But can you start by telling us a bit about your background and what life as a kid looked like for you? So I was actually born in England, up in Lancashire near the Lake District. But my family emigrated to Australia when I was really young. So I was only six. Um, So my sort of earliest real memories are of Australia and growing up on the northern beaches. Um, I was a really like imaginative daydreamy kind of kid I really loved reading and um, just making up stories I always loved drawing and stuff and um, my granny was a seamstress and so she my dad brought her over yeah from England when I was young and she taught me how to sew so I really like loved making things from a young age which was a bit funny in the northern beaches as well because it's a very sporty kind of thing and I just wasn't interested in like knickers or any of those things I was like just give me a good book yeah I was gonna say I heard you describe yourself as a daydreamer with a big imagination so that's lovely that it's a connection back to your your granny yeah and um I I think I just used to get really lost in books and picture books especially and you know still books like where the forest meets the sea and possum magic by mem fox and all of the may gibbs books you know, and they're all things that really still inspire me now. Like I have a real sense of nostalgia for all of that. And I think you can probably see it in my work. Um, and I've also always really loved 
nature. So even though I wasn't too sporty, I did love being in the outdoors and my dad would always take us fishing and I would just be like wandering off and picking flowers and, you know, (laughs) doing that instead. And you went on to study visual arts and I think you were sort of focused more on the fashion side originally. So so what was that experience like and, and where did you see your career heading at that point? Yeah, I really wasn't sure. And I remember, um, so I actually originally studied painting at uh, SCA, which is unfortunately no more. But I remember even when I got in to SCA, sort of being like, oh, so am I going to be an artist? Because like, I really love painting, but I definitely didn't have a career plan. And I didn't really understand, you know, the whole way the art world worked. Like I was super naive, super young. And I think after doing a year, um, year studying art I became a little bit disillusioned because we did so much theory and like you know you had to sort of talk about what you were going to do and I just wanted to learn techniques and how to make stuff and like get my hands dirty and then I was the whole time sort of still making my own clothes and really getting interested in that side of things so I ended up applying to East Sydney TAFE to study fashion design just on a whim and I managed to get in so that was really great um, and I really loved fashion design, but then I discovered this thing called textiles and that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> so then I changed again and I did the textile design for print course at East Sydney TAFE and I just loved it. Like it just really opened my eyes and I even started my own first little business while I was still at TAFE um, and I would make my own printed t-shirts and I was selling them in like a few cute little shops in Surrey Hills and around about the place. And then I believe you headed off to London for quite a few years and you did a whole range of things over there. So what were some of the highlights of your time over there? So when I went over, again, no plan, like I'd been backpacking and, you know, traveling Europe. And then I wound up in London and I did some internships with different labels, really cool independent creative labels. There was a lady I worked for for six months called Michelle Loholder, who's still doing amazing stuff and just learnt loads of like great techniques and got to do stuff like go backstage at Fashion Week and, you know, all of those things. And I really wanted to start my own printing again, but I couldn't find a studio space that I could afford. (laughs) So I decided that I would apply for a grant for a social enterprise um, with some other people to set up a screen printing studio in like a multi kind of disciplinary art space down in South London. That was really amazing because, you know, it just gave me a place to produce my own work, but it was a lot of work sort of running the studio and doing all of that. So I handed over the reins. Um, But then I decided to start my own fashion label, (laughs) which was um, very print based. It was called Neurotica. And I actually did something which is, I can talk about now, but for many years I was just like, oh, I can't believe I did this. Um, But I decided to go on Dragon's Den, which is a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Shark Tank, but the BBC version. And I pitched my, I was, when I see the video now, like I don't, I haven't actually watched (laughs) it for many years, but I was such a baby and I went on just so confident, like, yep, I'm starting this fashion label, blah, blah, blah. And I somehow managed to get funding from the Dragons. So, yeah, I um, ended up doing a fashion label. Um, It went really well. It was stocked in Topshop. 
Um, I did lots of trade shows and ended up getting a distributor in Japan. And yeah, and then there was this huge financial crash and things got really tough. So that, you know, sort of happened, not log into the business. So even with the, the funding and support, it was just incredibly tough time to have a small label so mm. yeah but I mean it, the label was doing really well for for quite some time as you said you were selling in I think Europe the UK the US Japan you know it must have been quite an exciting time for you when all of that was really taking off it really was and I was so proud of it and I learned so much and I think at the time you know I ended up having to close the label which was really heartbreaking but I think it was definitely the right decision. And, you know, I'll always be really proud of what I did. And I think especially it taught me so much, like, because I started it when I was quite young, it taught me so much about how businesses work. But it also, um, you know, taught me a lot about the fashion industry and how it really works, because I think I was so swept up in, like, the creativity and the excitement, but actually running you know, a business in fashion is a completely different prospect. And there was a very steep learning curve <laughs> as well involved. Yeah. And very competitive. I mean, that is not an indus- an easy industry to break into at all. I mean, ultimately you did decide to leave that world behind. So what was it that prompted your move away in the end and how big a decision was it to leave? Um, yeah, well, I think, um, so I closed down that business and I moved back to Australia. So I was working with different fashion labels here. Um, and I was really happy doing that for a number of years. And it was so nice not running my own business. But I did absolutely become so much more educated over those years about the waste in the fashion industry and, you know, all the stuff that goes on. And I also do feel like the industry has changed such a huge amount just in the, you know, 15 or 20 years, I've been a part of it since graduating TAFE. So I just started doing something on the side, you know, thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, and I really didn't know. I just knew that I didn't want to do fashion anymore. Um, and I also wanted to do something with a positive impact. And yeah, so initially I just... I was sort of fighting against like what I'm good at, which is, you know, drawing and textile design and stuff. And then eventually I was like, I think it's silly to try and, you know, I thought, oh, I'll become a blogger or I'll do this or I'll do that. And I was like, right. you know what, I'm just going to start drawing and making stuff. Um, so by this time, we, my partner and I had moved to Coffs Harbour. So it was quite a big change from Sydney. And we had like a, a house on a property with a huge shed. So I just bought some screen printing equipment. And just got back into what I really love doing and set up a mini screen printing studio in my shed where I would just hand print, yeah, hand print um, limited edition artworks. And it's sort of, I called it the scenic route. Um, I first had the idea when we were actually on a trip to Sri Lanka. And I don't know, I was just thinking about travel and names, you know, that sort of evoked that. So what did you think it was going to be back in those early days? I had no idea. Like I really didn't. I just sort of started it. And then um, I, I think I was a bit burnt from my first experience of starting a business. So I was very like, this is just something small. This is just like, you know, oh, it's not a business. It's just like a creative project. 
So mm. yeah, it, it launched quite organically and, you know, just showed some friends, set up an Instagram account and um, went to some like local gallery cafes and got my prints put up. And then I started making cards and it just sort of grew from there. Well, your illustrations are very beautiful and very obviously inspired by nature. For those who may not have come across the scenic route, can you describe a little bit about what it what it is and what it's become? Yeah, so I um, I've always loved illustration and I love doing like really detailed, intricate nature illustrations and botanical drawings. Um, I love mainly doing like Australian native animals and birds. So it's something very simple. And I think, you know, something that stopped me from doing my own thing for ages was the pressures like to do something, you know, that's, oh, it's completely new or completely different. And I've never pretended that the scenic route is something, you know, groundbreaking. It's just right from my heart. And it's just the things that I love. And I think hopefully you can, you can tell, but yeah, it's just special little drawings and I think the thing that people say to me most is they just get lost in the details I can spend up to like 150 hours working on a design and there's just you know each time you look at it I want people to discover something new and something different and so at what point did you realize that it had potential to be your full-time business I think the point I really realized that it was about a year so I was still working um, part-time as a freelance textile designer but I applied for this market called Finders Keepers and I just thought, I don't know if I'll get in, you know, it's it's a long shot, but I applied and they offered me a debut stall and I was like, oh, okay, wow, this is a real thing. And so I had about three months to prepare and I just worked my butt off and I was like made so <laughs> many things and like I was hand sewing things and screen printing things and went up there and I sold out. I basically sold out of everything oh, wow. I had. And I remember we, um, we, you know, packed the car and drove up to Brisbane to do the market. And I was thinking, I was looking back and the whole car was like jammed full. And I was like, what have I done? Like, there's so much <laughs> stuff. I'm going to have to, oh, you know, it's going to be a nightmare. And then we were driving back with an empty car. So it was just, that market was just such a fantastic opportunity for me. And I'm still involved with Finders Keepers today because they're just a really amazing platform you know, to mm. launch, launch small businesses like mine. And you also have a strong purpose to your business, which is the sustainability aspect. And you've partnered with groups like Rainforest Rescue to support their work. So why was that so important to you? I think it's just there's so much kind of stuff that exists in the world. And, you know, I fought against being a product-based business initially because I didn't want to bring more stuff into the world. And it's really hard. Like it's so hard to find that right balance. So I've always wanted to do something that gives back. And the more, the longer I'm in my business, the more I'm trying to do that. Like I try and make really conscious choices with packaging. I've actually now gone completely plastic free with all my packaging, try and use recycled materials for everything. And sometimes it's just so hard because you'll want to do a product and then you're like, but is this environmentally sustainable or does this agree with my values and yeah it's always hard finding a balance but I think working with Rainforest Rescue has been amazing and I'm always looking like as I look at my business growing I'm really looking at more opportunities where I can you know work with different conservation projects to 
fundraise and raise awareness and it's always going to be like something I'm really interested in. And um, recently we spent quite a lot of time up in the Daintree and in Port Douglas and um, I met some amazing people that are marine biologists and, you know, that work on the reef and, you know, I've always known what's happening on the reef, but it's really serious. So my next kind of project, I'd really like to do a collection that focuses on, you know, underwater nature as well. So yeah, stay tuned. (laughs) Well, look, I wanted to come now to your life on the road. Uh, As we talk today, you're sitting in your van, Daisy, and I believe you've parked next to a beautiful river in Belgian. Um, So tell me a little bit about Daisy and how she came into your life. It's a little bit of a long story, so I apologize. (laughs) Um, Basically, making it short, um, we'd moved to Coffs and we're living in an amazing um, dream house there and had this sort of sense that like we should be so happy we have everything we've ever dreamed of and worked for, yet there's still something missing. So in at the end of 2018, my partner who works in local government got a job offer to go and work in Burketown, which is one of the most remote towns in Australia. And we said, well, we, he said yes. We said yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we decided to sell a house and pack everything up and go up there. And the whole thing happened really quickly. And yeah, so we spent a year living up in Burketown which was a really challenging experience. Um, and it also meant that with my business, you know, I had to adapt a lot of things and change a lot of things to make it work from living in a remote town. Um, yeah. And it was, it was really good preparation though. Like there were a lot, a lot of challenges and I learned a lot and I gained a lot of resilience from doing it. Mm. It was also pretty hard. Like I'll have to admit sometimes and even as somebody incredibly privileged you know it was it was a hard place to live and it's just very the isolation it's cut off a few months Mm. a year because of the rainy season and yeah I found it really tough so I'd always had this thing in my head that I wanted to travel Australia and we had some friends who visited us while we were in Coffs who'd packed up their lives and moved into a Toyota coaster with their two kids so the seed was there And I was always just in the back of my mind browsing, you know, on Gumtree. And this coaster came up one day, this bus uh, called Daisy. And I fell in love. And within a week, I'd bought her. (laughs) So I could see. (laughs) And um, I didn't really know, um, you know, when I was going to use her, but I just bought her because, yeah, she just was everything I wanted. And um, so she was sitting in a storage unit in Ellie Beach. And so when my partner's contract was up at the end of the year, we went and picked her up and we started our journey in the bus. And how did you prepare? I mean, you did you have to convert the van, like, you know, to be living in it full time? I'm sure you had to do a bit of work to her. Well, we, that was one of the reasons I love Daisy because the previous owner had lovingly converted her himself. And so a lot of things were already here. Like we did do some changes and make some additions and, and all of that. But just in general, like all the stuff, because neither myself or my partner, I'm, I've got a really good vision for things, but I don't necessarily have the skills all the time, unfortunately. And my partner is 
let's just say he's not super handy, <laughs> but he will do it under duress. So we were so right. happy to buy a bus that already kind of had the look and feel that we wanted and would be really livable. And, you know, it's really open plan. Um, there's a lot of um, motorhomes that are like really closed off and have a lot of stuff in them. So we just really liked the way that it was laid out. And you've written beautifully on your website about your motivations for living a life on the road. Can you talk a little bit about that and where that desire to downsize came from? I think it was just, in general, our environmental concerns. And part of that is we did want to have a smaller footprint ourselves and put our money where our mouths were and see if we could live in that way. Um, mm. And I've always been really interested in the concept of tiny houses and off-grid living. So we really consciously wanted to buy a van that had, you know, solar panels. Um, all of our power, you know, comes from solar and we only have like a tiny fridge. So we have to consume our food quite mindfully. Like we only have small storage spaces. And we also have to be incredibly careful with water. Um, the amount of water that we use is so minimal compared to what we what we would normally do in a house. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, living in a tiny space like that, you physically don't have room for possessions. So the less you have, that happier you feel. <laughs> um, and mm. you're constantly doing calls and you just realise like, well, what do I actually need? Because space is at such a premium. So, and I love having an uncluttered space. So yeah, I've really narrowed down what I need. And so, I mean, did you have a plan in mind? Was this meant to be a permanent kind of move or was it, did you have a year? Like what was the plan? The plan was, there is no plan, but we were thinking <laughs> we would do a full loop of Australia. So at least two years. And I think, um, you know, cause we're still kind of looking for our place and you know, in the world and where we want to be. Um, we love traveling. I still don't really have a plan, but I think in the back of our minds, it's always like on our travels, if we find that perfect spot that we haven't seen yet, then maybe that will be the place we settle down, you know, and maybe we've already been there. Maybe it's somewhere that we're still going to discover, but we don't have a time frame of how long we're going to be in the van or traveling. Sounds pretty nice. But I'm sure, I mean, so it's you and your partner and your dog, is that right? Yes. And she's a cattle dog. So she's not a small dog to have in a van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how does that go? I mean, you must spend a lot of time together. I mean, do you come across a lot of other people on your travels? Are you? Is it just the three of you a lot? It's just the three of us a lot. Like I do, you know, if we're somewhere like in a town, like sometimes like I love going to a library or a cafe to spend the day working and, you know, everyone gets a bit of space. But we've amazingly got, you know, got on together really well and it's worked really well. I think the hardest time obviously was during the COVID lockdown where it was pretty, pretty sort of scary time in some ways because, um, and everybody went through it obviously, but overnight almost all the campgrounds all the rest areas like all the free camps everything was just closed and mm. they didn't kind of think about oh there's up to 70,000 people apparently full-time on the road from backpackers to grey nomads that are now on the road and they're just telling everyone to go home 
And it's like, well, we don't have a home. <laughs> like this is oh our my home. Goodness, right? So yeah, they did figure it out after about a week, and um, yeah, and we ended up finding a place that we could be locked down, but still, just I think not being able to like one of the great things about being, you know, in the bus is being able to be on the move and see new things all the time. So being in the same place for nearly three months, yeah, it mm. was pretty. That was pretty challenging, but at least, you know, we're all in it together. And, I mean, you mentioned the camping sites. I mean, where are you pulling up a lot of the time and how long approximately would you spend in a place in normal non-COVID times? Um, it really depends. So we try not to have like a really fixed itinerary. We mainly stay in free camps. So, you know, and they can vary. Like sometimes it'll just be a rest stop on the side of the road and other times, you know, some of the free camps are just incredible, like with mountain views and, you know, hot showers. So it just depends where you are. The further inland you are, the better the free camps are. Um, but if we are staying in a rest area, you know, it's because we've spent all day at a beautiful beach. So we can still pull our bus up next to the beach or a river or a lake and have a really nice day there. And we'll even cook dinner there. And then we'll go and, you know, just camp wherever we can. I mean, we do mm -hmm. occasionally stay in caravan parks. Um, and like, it's just not for us. Like, unfortunately, I think they're really good for lots of people, but we prefer a bit more freedom. <laughs> so, but they yeah. are nice. We always do lots of laundry and, you know, all of that <laughs> stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there must be a few conveniences from home that, that you miss from time to time. Oh, it's like being on holiday, I guess. Cause you're like, oh, wow. Like, let's get all the laundry done and have <laughs> Any shower we want and all of that. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it isn't one big holiday though, because you are also running your business from the road. So, what does a typical work day look like for you? So, it's it's pretty tricky sometimes. Like, I'd say my business is very cyclical. So, there's like a design and illustration and creative phase, um, and I try, you know. I try and just get all of that done in batches because when you're trying to, you know, be really creative and put that hat on, it is hard when you're also then sort of trying to answer emails and do marketing and all of that. So whatever I'm actually doing though, like I do try to sort of make a plan the night before. So if we're going to be traveling the next day, I'll be like, okay, cool. So I'll work in the afternoon or, you know, if we're parked up for a few days, I tend to like get up really early, walk the dog, meditate, do my yoga, like have a really full morning, have my breakfast and then work usually from like 10 to 12, have lunch. And then I try and work again from like one till four in the afternoon. Obviously, sometimes it doesn't work out like that. And there has been days where I'm sitting there, you know, from 7am <laughs> until midnight because I've just yeah. got so much to do. But I really try and have balance. And that's something that I'm really, really working towards with my business because, you know, there was a point where everything got too busy and too much, you know, being on the road. And I just had to sort of say, okay, this is, this is too much. I didn't, you know, do this to then, you know, spend my whole day just sitting there, 
you know, just getting yeah. frustrated because I couldn't get a Wi-Fi signal or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's the challenge when you're running your own business is that, you know, you're partly doing it because you want that freedom, but it can be very overwhelming, especially if you're a one-woman band, so to speak, like you could end up doing a lot more work than you would in a salaried job. Definitely. And like recently I've just been um, really thinking about ways to make my business so I don't you know, have to be so stressed because it's just not what I want. And, you know, I think I'm in a constant battle with this because I love to say yes to things and I want to collaborate with everyone and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I just can't do it all. So I really Mm. am trying to just focus on, you know, doing the things that I love and that, you know, work for me really well and learning slowly to say no, even when it's really exciting projects. Yeah. yeah. And do you have anyone helping you? Are you do you have any um virtual assistants or anything like that? I have a bookkeeper, a virtual assistant bookkeeper who helps me with my books, who's amazing, Brenda. Um and other than that, my partner Darren has slowly I've slowly sneakily worked <laughs> into the business. So he's been um he's really organized and um he's that sort of comes from a very different career background from me and he's on sabbatical at the moment. So I'm like, you know, if he just started, he'd be like, I'm bored. And I'd be like, how about you do these order fulfillments for me? And he's like, (laughs) and then he, um, I think the way I really got him in there was his love of spreadsheets. Um, he loves, (laughs) oh yeah. So he was like, you need a really good Gantt chart. And then I think, Yes, I'm slowly getting him in involved more and more, which is actually amazing because now he's understanding the business so much more and just having that sounding board and, yeah, so it's really great. Mm. And you have built some pretty big partnerships over the years uh, with different brands and I know you've got a fabric range in Spotlight at the moment. So have you been able to build all of that remotely or do you sometimes have to ditch the van and head into the big smoke? I've been able to do pretty much all of it remotely. Um, I, the only times, um, I do go into the big smoke is to do markets, but that hasn't really happened this year again because of COVID. Like the plan was to go down and do finders keepers, but yeah, didn't happen. Um, and, um, I even have a wholesale platform that I'm on that, you know, I can do all my wholesales through. I've tried to make everything like that sort of function as well as possible and I've also um for my own products I have a 3PL like a third party logistics center that pack and distribute all the products for me and they're amazing and like that I think being able to outsource that you know is something that I had to do while I was in Burktown because the shipping times and the post isn't great there I think you get one delivery a week maybe two so, yeah, it's something that I'd already set up before I went on the road. Um, but yeah, everything else, like I'm able to do remotely, like Zoom meetings, phone calls and yeah. Well, you've been on your business journey for a few years now. So what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned in terms of starting or running your own business? Um, so I've learned everything the hard way. I've made every mistake <laughs> that it's possible to make. <laughs> Um, but I think the biggest lesson I've learned is definitely is that learning to say no to things. I've just had to learn it over and over again because I, you know, you sort of constantly 
wanting to say yes and getting yourself into a situation where it's too much. So I think the biggest thing I've really learned is trying to just keep everything small and within my means. And I think there's quite a movement at the moment where it's used to be like endless growth. And I think my first business, it was all about endless growth, endless growth. And it was too much, you know, and it didn't work out. And now I'm just like constantly like, but I only need like, you know, there's sort of a a thrive and survive figure. And I'm like, that's all I actually need. So why kill myself to try and, you know, get to this point that I don't need to be at? You know, part of this whole journey is about simplifying my life and minimizing things. I literally have no room for more possessions. I can't buy things. So (laughs) it's, it's, yeah, it's really important to say no. I don't know. And also I think just going with, with your instincts. Um, and you know, if it feels, feels right, go with it. There's, oh, there's this quote. Okay. I might get this wrong, but it was something (laughs) like, if it isn't a hell yes, it's a no. I think Brene Brown said it. And I heard that and I was like, yes, that needs to be my new mantra. So, you know, you know, that feeling when you're like, yes, hell yes, I really want to do it. It's not that, then it has to be a no, even if it's something amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's so funny you say that. It got sent to me very recently as well, and I've been employing that as much as I can in my own life. Yay. <laughs> so where to next for your, your travels and for your business? Oof. Well, it's really hard to plan, as it is for everyone, um, with COVID and border you know, closures and all of that. So I think the plan at the moment is we're heading to Sydney, um, to spend some time with family. So my family are there and I haven't seen them properly for a couple of years. And then I think take some time to reassess. Um, we're going to make some more improvements to the van. Like after living in it for a year, we really know what needs to happen now and we'll probably employ someone to do it though. Um, and then also just take some time with the business to really focus on what's working and getting that running really, really well again. Um, and to, we hit the road, but I think I'm really going to shift the focus to fabrics because that's the one product that people love so much. So at the moment I'm really, I'm researching a few different options. Um, one of which is GOTS certified organic cotton and some more sustainable options in terms of, in terms of my base materials. The possibility, if I can make it happen of getting some products made in Australia which is going to be hard and it's going to lift the price point, but it's something I would really love to do. And, but yeah, um, and just really focusing on beautiful designs and hopefully forming some new partnerships to um, raise money for conservation. So we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast and you've certainly made several brave leaps in your life and career. What would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it? So I think my bravest moment was definitely deciding to get rid of nearly all my belongings and to hit the road full time and run a business while doing it. You know, and as we've touched on, it has been incredibly challenging, but also incredibly rewarding. And I'm just constantly learning so much. And I think how I got the courage. It's just been a culmination of lots of smaller brave moments, like, you know, selling a house, moving to the outback, 
quitting my job, going on Dragon's Den. Like I've always been <laughs> a little bit, not so much impulsive, but I, I just, um, I just go for the things that I really want and I try not to think about it too much. Well, it's that, like you say, those little steps. I think people talk about um, competence encourages confidence. I think that's it. So once you've done things a couple of times and you realise the world doesn't end when you put yourself out there, I guess it does as we get older, you know, it gives you that extra bit of what have I got to lose, you know? (laughs) Definitely. And I think, you know, it is about following your instincts. And I think I've also just learned, like I've done some pretty impulsive things and taking some big decisions and it's always either worked out and when it hasn't it's not like that big a deal like you can always just find something else to do so I think yeah I'd rather be that way and and I think as well when you learn from your mistakes like that's can only be a good thing (laughs) yeah yeah um and I think a lot of us find inspiration from other women too who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you when I was in Coffs Harbour, when I first had the idea of starting my business, um, and I didn't know that many people, I hadn't lived there for too long, I um, started working in a co-working space and through that I met this amazing woman called Stephanie Hunt and she was starting a new project called Building Women's Business and it was just a small group of female entrepreneurs doing all sorts of different things from running workshops for ukulele to making doormats and marketing and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. And we had a meeting and I told her about my business. And at the time I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I don't want to do this and I don't want to do fashion. And even though she's since admitted, she was like, I thought you were completely crazy. I There was something <laughs> about you. So I joined the group, which I'm still in today. Um, we do all the sessions over Zoom now because you know, it's easier. Um, I was in it while I was in Burktown and it gave me such a sense of connection and it's quite a structured group, but you know, all of these women are just so inspiring and it's just so amazing to have that support. And I think, yeah, that's something that's really kept me going in terms of my business because we keep each other accountable. You know, we admit like the hardest things that have happened and yeah. And I think particularly Stephanie, you know, she's just, she's almost become a mentor for me and I definitely don't think I would have gotten where I have in my business if it wasn't for her and that group. And if there's someone listening out there thinking that maybe they'd love to follow a creative passion of their own, perhaps they'd like to make the leap to start their own business, do you have any final tips for them? Um, so many. Um, <laughs> oh, look, I just have to go back into just don't think too hard about it. Just do what really makes your heart sing and do what makes you really happy and it's going to be really really tough and be realistic about the fact that you're going to have to make sacrifices and it's not always going to be an easy journey but even when things are really tough like it's always worth it if you feel really fulfilled in what you're doing and you're following your path yeah I love that thank you so much Victoria I've really loved chatting with you today thank you Jackie it's been so amazing thank you so much that was Victoria McGrain, founder of The Scenic Route, which you can find at thescenicroutestyle.com. We'll put the details in our show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What She Did Next Podcast. 
What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. And we are proud to be a part of the Women's Agenda Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.